Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. This week we'll be finishing our study of Ephesians, giving our attention to chapter 6. Our hope is that this study has equipped us with a deeper confidence in God, His Word, His will, and His ways through Jesus. Now, let's continue our study with Pastor Jim. Good day, folks. Today we're looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18, 19, and 20. And this is the Apostle Paul beginning to wind up the entire letter to the Ephesians. And right after he has given us instructions for how we're to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might to put on and take up the full armor, the whole armor of God, Paul goes on to describe how until the Lord returns and sets this world to rights, we live in a spiritual battle every single day of our lives. And we looked at this in, in the last episode. I didn't have time for this Tony Evans quote, but I really thought I'd start off through this episode with it. Um, he says, it's easy to be a soldier in a parade. The weapons aren't loaded. There's no enemy to be found. And all your leader has to do is make sure you keep in step. But when you're in a war, your weapons are always loaded. The enemy is in sight and your commander is telling you what to do in order to stay alive and win the battle. Far too many believers in Jesus Christ think they are in a parade instead of war. I think Tony is right there and the Apostle Paul so right to give us those instructions about uh, uh, the warfare, the spiritual warfare that goes on behind the scenes and uh, for to equip us uh, to be able to navigate that. The paradox for Christians is that we fight best when we fight on our knees in prayer, uh, praying and trusting the Lord and, and standing firm, but in his strength and the strength of his might, uh, wearing the armor that he's given to us as opposed to just sort of pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and doing this all on our own, thinking that if we shout loud enough or if we get emotional enough, um, somehow or another we'll send the devil and his minions uh, running, fleeing, uh, because good grief, we strutted and we spit on stage and therefore, and we swung our coat and whatever else people might want to do. That's not what intimidates the devil. I think what intimidates the devil, devil is, and, and demons are saints that pray. And so Paul moves immediately in verse 18, 19, and 20 to give us some instruction to that end. Um, take a look at what the Apostle Paul says in just these three verses. Uh, he gives us some instruction on when, uh, how, for whom, and for what to pray. And uh, I think, again, we, we, we sometimes misconstrue prayer, just like we misconstrue spiritual warfare sometimes, and just don't interpret it properly, and therefore we sort of end up getting frustrated or, or uh, defeated or um, in some way uh, find ourselves derailed spiritually. Well, what does he have to say to us about prayer here? He says this, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, 
then in that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So there's tons here in these just three short verses. First of all, in verse 18, I've got to point out the four uses of this word all. In the Greek, it's just this word pas. And uh, there are two that are implied. So really, I, I feel like there are six there in a way, six alls, if you will, that direct when, how, for whom, and for what we ought to pray. All in one verse. Uh, there, I, That was a pun. For those of you that missed it, I used the word all again. Um, more on some of these things as we unpack it a little bit here, but all prayer, that means all of our prayers uh, should be directed toward the Lord, realizing that we're speaking to the God of the universe, the one who created us, the one who designed us, created us, the one who knows us better than we know ourselves, the one who knows uh, the end before it even comes because he's, he lives outside of space-time history, even though he has invaded it in the person and work of Jesus, uh, God has a perspective we just don't have, and so we trust him. We get this wrong when we are anxious. What's happening to us is we're starting to think God's probably not going to get this right, and so we become anxious. Or if we're angry about something that's already happened or something that hasn't happened, that's usually because in the background anyway in our thoughts, we think God got it wrong. Somehow the sovereign God of the universe got it wrong and therefore we have a right to be angry and upset and carried away by that anger so often. It separates us from God, separates us from others, and even separates us from being our true selves, the ones that God designed for peace, not to churn and burn over uh, anger and rage. And so he says, with all prayer, so all of our prayers should be directed to God. We're not just sending out thoughts and prayers. We're actually speaking to the God of the universe. And then there's an implied all when he says, with all prayer and petition. I think it's implied that with all petition, that is prayer is a request. C.S. Lewis reminds us of that so often. He he has such an interesting uh, uh, take on it, his little short essay called The Efficacy of Prayer. I encourage you to look that up online. You can find it, and uh, it makes a great read. And, he, and he's, he's just asking some of those basic questions. Does prayer work, and does it really have an impact in some way on, on Almighty God? Does he hear our prayers? Does he, based on our experience, uh, we're wondering, does he actually hear them? Does he respond to them? Does he care about what's going on in our lives? And this essay is just brilliant, the efficacy of prayer. But all prayer is a petition. That is, we're approaching God with our requests, if you will. And then the Apostle Paul goes on to say, pray at all times in the Spirit. Um, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, I think he says, pray without ceasing. That is, um, we're to live in an ongoing conversational relationship with God. And here he adds that qualifier, pray in the spirit. And what does that mean? Of course, um, some folks will say it, it has to do with uh, a prayer language, with an ec ecstatic speech, uh, praying in tongues, if you will. And um, not making any comment on the gift of tongues itself, but I think it's bigger than just that. I would say that to pray in the Spirit means to pray directed by the Holy Spirit, uh, 
who gives utterance to the very deepest longings of our hearts. And we may not even know what to ask for, or as we so often do, I think a lot of times we will we'll sort of go ahead and speculate what we think we want, uh, or we'll, we'll list to God uh, the thing that we want the most, even though we haven't yet submitted our wanter to God, our desire to God yet. And we need to do that, reminding ourselves that the Spirit is going to inform us and the Spirit is going to uh, carry our prayers uh, heavenward as well. And even, I'm, I'm going to line up with J.I. Packer on this one. The Spirit is even going to correct my prayers as they ascend. Um, I, that's how much I trust the Holy Spirit in my own prayer life. Um, Paul goes on to say, um, praying at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance. That is, stick-to-itiveness. Is that a word? Uh, it is today. With tenacity, with persistence, um, continue to pray. Pray again. You said, well, I lifted that up to the Lord and he hasn't done what I asked for. Well, the thing is, what he might really want to do is a work in you, a work in me. And so we continue to pray, not because we want to nag God and cajole, somehow or another, get him down around and wrestle him down, get him in an arm lock and, and somehow or another persuade him to do things the way we want them done. No, we continue to pray persistently with all perseverance in the spirit so that our not only our prayers as they ascend will be shaped and formed by the Holy Spirit, but our hearts, our desires, our affections will be redirected and we will come to see things as the Holy Spirit sees them. We'll come to even want what God wants. And then he says, all, uh, he says with all perseverance and petition, I thought he already said petition, some of you might be asking. And this is one of those, of the, those two implied alls that I uh, mentioned earlier. He says it twice because I think he wants to remind us because maybe some of us need to hear it twice. Um, in case you missed it, that prayer is a request. You have to be reminded, I have to be reminded that we are the ones making the request and we're making the request of someone who knows more than we do, someone who can do more than we can do, someone who is far wiser than we are. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways, Isaiah tells us. And so we pray in all per perseverance, but we're always making petition and reminding ourselves that our prayers are petition. And then verse um, 19, I love this, is, is he says, pray on my behalf. Uh, you're praying for all the saints. And then the apostle Paul says, pray on my behalf. And in both of those cases, the apostle Paul is directing the people at Ephesus and us by extension to become more other-centered in our prayers. Don't just reduce your prayer life to giving God, presenting to God a list of things to do for you, but begin to pray for others, for all the saints, 
And in Paul's case, he says, pray for me. He's writing in the first century to this specific church or a group of churches in and around the second largest city in the Roman Empire. And he wants them to, and he loves them, by the way. He, lo- he spent three years there. He loves these people dearly. He knows that they love him and he trusts them to pray for him, not just to send out their positive thoughts and not to send their prayers to him, but to storm heaven on his behalf. Uh, Go before the living God with your prayers on my behalf, the Apostle Paul says. I think that's so important. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great Welshman uh, who became uh, such a world-famous preacher, uh, became the pastor. Westminster Chapel followed on the heels of G. Campbell Morgan at Westminster Chapel there. He wrote about prayer. He said, prayer is the highest activity of the human soul. Therefore, it is at the same time the ultimate test of a man's true spiritual condition. And I would add a woman's as well. There is nothing so much as prayer life that tells the truth about us as Christian people. Everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. Let me say that last little bit again. Maybe you thought I misread it, but I did not. Everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. Mm, Wow. I think that's true of me too. Life gets so busy and so noisy. Probably the first of the spiritual disciplines to go is prayer, to be set aside. Um, To take that focus time to get quiet before the Lord and not just to talk at the Lord in our prayers, but to listen as well. Listening prayer. We're missing some of the the best part of prayer if all we do, if we're the only ones speaking in our prayers. We need to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. Um, we need to, as even as we read the scripture, we need to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. So prayer is the highest activity of the human soul. I agree with Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones on that. Tim Keller has a a book called Prayer. And um, he says, prayer is awe, intimacy, struggle, yet the way to reality. There's nothing more important or harder or richer or more life altering. There's absolutely nothing so great as prayer. Once again, the Apostle Paul, I agree with him on this. Martin Lloyd-Jones, agree with him on this. Tim Keller, agree with him on this as well. Uh, I think when we often uh, find people uh, at the end of their lives, uh, they won't be saying, I wish I spent more time in the office. I wish I spent more time working hard or in pursuit of some goal or whatever. Most of the time, the things that really matter rise to the surface when people look back on their lives. And uh, I remember hearing, I think it was Tim Keller Yeah, it was Tim who, when asked, what do you wish you had done more of? And he said, spend more time in prayer. And I agree with him on that. Paul Tripp says, prayer is abandoning my reliance on me and running toward the rest that can be found only when I rely on the power of God. Let me read that again. Prayer is abandoning my reliance on me and running toward the rest that can be found only when I rely on the power of God. So when Paul says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, 
and then goes on to talk about this spiritual warfare that we live in, this tension that we live in. Man, you can go right to verse 18 and find, um, in addition to putting on that armor of God and standing firm in the power of God's might, we do our best fighting on our knees, as I said earlier. And the unexplainable uh, mysteries of the gospel are part of what we're to pray about. When Paul says in verse 19, pray on my behalf, he doesn't just stop with, oh, I'm in prison, pray that I'll get released. Fascinating to me that here's this guy imprisoned, and yet he seems to be the most free person on the planet at the time. He says, pray for me, and what does he put on their prayer list? What kind of request does he ask them to pray for him about? That utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. That's amazing. Unexplainable mysteries that flow upstream against the contemporary cultural current attract the curious. When people discover a person like Paul who has him, you know, he, he can't go anywhere. He's probably chained to a, a prison wall or perhaps to a, a Roman guard who's probably smelly and doesn't want to be there. And um, he is sharing the gospel. He's, he's praying that the Ephesians will pray for him that he can share the gospel with that prison guard with that jailer just outside his cell, if you will, with the other prisoners that might be in that same jail, and with anybody who will listen. Paul was the one who led worship services and hymn sings in the prison cells, he and Silas together. Matter of fact, that was one of the things <laughs> that happened at Philippi, and I can't wait to go there, by the way. We're going uh, we're going, I don't know when you're listening to this or watching this, but I hope you'll check our website at thevillagechapel.com and and uh, look look up the journeys of the Apostle Paul trip we're going to go on. Maybe you can go with us. We're going to go to Philippi. We're going to go to Thessalonica. We're going to go to uh, uh, Athens. Uh, we're going we're gonna to go to Ephesus and, and visit the ruins there. And I'm really excited all, about all of that. But when, when Paul says to the Ephesians, here's what I want you to pray about. It wasn't his release from prison. It was his, his ability to boldly preach the gospel. That was what was on Paul's heart. When people discover another group of people who seem to be joyful in situations like that, and especially in our own day and time, a lot of us are not imprisoned. But what would happen if the watching world saw in us a people that had uh, inexhaustible amount of joy in an age of outrage. We just aren't as outraged as everybody else seems to be about every little thing that comes along, especially politics. What would happen if there were a group of people on the planet who could be hopeful in these dark days of despair? who somehow still know how to be civil to one another, even when they disagree on some of the issues that just seem to light everybody else's hair on fire. Hmm. What about a group of people that could learn to love one another well, regardless of how much color there is in their skin or 
where they went to school or what kind of car they drive or what kind of job they have. I love looking out from the pulpit that I preach from here at the Village Chapel. I look out into what I consider to be a very diverse group of people. There is somebody who is um, the the president of a company, a large corporation, sitting right next to an out-of-work musician, both worshiping the Lord. There's somebody who's in their 90s sitting next to somebody or in front of or behind somebody who's in their 20s. And we have an amazingly uh, diverse group of people in terms of generations and different decades, that sort of thing. I love that. And they all come together. Why? Because they're all in Christ. And it's Jesus who can unite us. And that's one of those... Now, the watching world looks at that and goes, how do they do that? And it arouses their curiosity and it gives us an opportunity to explain the amazing grace that has been put on offer to us. John Stott wrote about the church at Thessalonica. He said, everybody heard about this new community which had come into being in Thessalonica. It's bold rejection of idolatry, it's joy in the midst of opposition, It's transformed values, it's faith, and it's love. Those are standout characteristics of a group of people. Think about that in our own day and time. If we had a bold rejection of the idolatry that just besets and and has most of the world in its grip, idolatry to money, sex, power, all those kinds of things, Um, The joy in the midst of opposition. There it is, that same kind of joy I was talking about earlier. It's transformed values. See, those when when you change your value system, when you treasure the gospel, when you treasure Christ more than anything else, it really changes everything else. Your priorities are different. Um, All of a sudden, you can sing from the inside of a jail cell like the Apostle Paul did. He was more concerned about the glory of Jesus and so in love with the freedom he had in Christ uh, that it literally eclipsed uh, the lack of physical freedom he had in jail. Transform values, faith and love, John Stott says. That quote will be in the show notes if you happen to have access to those. And if you don't, you can go to thevillagechapel.com and get those. Power is in our prayer and The antidote to my selfish ambition and my chronic anxiety is prayer. The solution to the frustration of my failed attempts to be king myself, to be the Lord myself, to be my own little G God, to control everything, um, the, the solution to that is getting on my knees, lifting up the empty hands of faith and praying. Paul says he's an ambassador in chains. He prays that he would be able to speak boldly as he ought to speak. What an effective witness he was. Let me close with this quote from Alan Noble. I've gone way over time. Um, He says, Alan Noble in Disruptive Witness says this, the challenge facing us today is not so much the temptation to be relevant to the point that we lose the gospel, but the tendency to unknowingly accept a secular understanding of our faith while believing that we are boldly declaring the gospel. In other words, we think we're doing the right thing, but we aren't. We think we somehow have not accommodated the culture, but we have. That's a a real good title, his book, Disruptive Witness. 
Um, I think a lot of us are asleep in the light. I think a lot of us need to be awakened. And the Apostle Paul does that when he says, pray for me here in my prison cell that I might become a bold, a disruptive witness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this encouraging uh, word from the Apostle Paul, uh, showing us, instructing us, inspiring us on how, when, why, for what, and for whom to pray. I pray, Lord, that this day, uh, we might spend the day in um, sort of living and walking out our lives in a conversational relationship with you, moment by moment, praying without ceasing. And we pray this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. You can stay connected by signing up for our newsletter or follow us on social media. At the Village Chapel, we believe God's Word is unique in its source, timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.